Welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast with Matthew Eels. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. In this episode, I'm joined by the legendary and iconic Australian filmmaker Rolf Deheer to discuss his new film, The Survival of Kindness. For regular listeners of this podcast, you'll notice that there was no trailer at the beginning for the film we're discussing. Well, that's because the trailer for The Survival of Kindness contains no dialogue. My first introduction to Rolf Deheer was in the mid-90s when I was in my mid-teens. A friend and I were sitting in his parents' shed smoking cigarettes and drinking beer when he told me that he had been to the dump that day and found a whole stash of VHS tapes. One of those tapes was Bad Boy Bubby. We stayed up all night and watched Bad Boy Bubby twice back to back. Such was the effect that the film had on us at the time. I had heard of De Heer at that stage of my life, but as my obsession for Australian cinema and Australian filmmakers began to grow, I rapidly realised just how prolific De Heer uh, is and the impact that he has had on cinema locally and around the world. Over the past few weeks, I've been asking friends and family if they're familiar with De Heer's work, and the obvious answer is that they've seen Bad Boy Bubby, but little else. If you're like those people, but you're interested in exploring more of De Heer's films, then I implore you to check out films like Charlie's Country, Ten Canoes, The Tracker, The Quiet Room, Dingo, and The King is Dead, which I rewatched recently and absolutely loved. In fact, I loved it more this time around than I did when I originally uh, caught it. Actually, don't stop at just those films. You really should watch everything that De Heer has made uh, to get a better feel of him as a filmmaker. I would have loved a few hours with Rolf to discuss his entire career, but this interview was part of Rolf's press junket for The Survival of Kindness, so I had a little limited time. And it's also worth mentioning that this interview was recorded in the foyer of a hotel where many of them are done on this uh, on these kind of press junkets. So please excuse uh, the very minimal background noise. Uh, written and directed and produced by Deheer, The Survival of Kindness uses allegory to analyse race and privilege as it follows protagonist black woman abandoned in a cage in the middle of the desert. Following her escape, she walked through pestilence and persecution from desert to mountain to city, only to find more captivity. It's an incredibly powerful powerful film, and I've heard it being described as being a subtle film, but it's not. It's not a subtle film at all. Um, I hope that it has the same effect on audiences as it had on me. Filmed across various stunning Australian landscapes in South Australia and Tasmania, the survival of kindness hits Australian cinemas from May 4. Anyway... Enjoy. Rolf, uh, as an Australian film enthusiast, uh, I'm thrilled to be sitting with uh, sitting here with you today. Um, to be in your presence is to be in the presence of greatness, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us. Look, I think it'll be my pleasure. <laughs> We're nearing 100 episodes of the Cinema Australia podcast, actually. And congratulations and on that. Thank you, thank you. I would have loved for you, for you to have been the 100th guest, but uh, these things don't always work out. No. <laughs> Um, uh, congratulations on this film, uh, The Survival of Kindness. It uh, had its uh, world premiere at Adelaide last year and then uh, premiered in Berlin. I'm curious to know, is there a difference between uh, the audience reactions to the film? I mean, you're speaking with media and doing Q&As. Is there a difference? Um, <clears throat> yes, we're still learning about what that 
that is. Mm. Um, you expect differences anyway, say, between Adelaide and Berlin. Yeah. Yes, of course. Because they're such different places mm. and, and culturally different. The response in Adelaide was the first sort of response we got, and mm. that was pretty interesting. In so far as people just sat there. They sat there. I mm. mean, it was there were two of the most silent screenings I've ever been to, mm. uh, where the audience doesn't make a sound. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then at the end of it, they don't want to get up. There were like, at the end of that first screening, I think there were like two dozen people who had to be escorted out of the cinema because the next session was starting. Right. Please, can you move? Can yeah, you move? Yeah. So that's that, and that is interesting in its own way. Mm. <coughs> um, Berlin was two thousand people. Mm. Uh, giant cinema, giant cinema screen, mm. fantastic sound. It was wonderful. <laughs> Um, and you could hear a pin drop. Yeah. So that's the most the the most consistent thing is how engaged the audience becomes mm -hmm. with the film, whether they like it or not. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's another question. Mm. Yeah. Now that's interesting to hear that the audience sits there in silence. Were you expecting more of a reaction to it? Were you expecting la a laugh here and there? Because. As serious as the film is, there are some small funny moments in it. There are some yeah. small funny moments in it. Mostly, yes, I'm a little surprised by how, <coughs> well, by how engaged people mm. are. Mm. Um, pleased by that. Yes. Uh, and it's their film now, mm. so it's mm. not up to me to think that they should be laughing or not. As, yes. As, as they, yeah. And and <coughs> there's something in the film that leads it to go the way it does. Mm. And sometimes it's just one person in an audience needs to start to laugh. <laughs> yes, yeah. And then it's okay. Yes, yes. Sometimes the uh, audience <coughs> needs permission to laugh. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. And yeah. maybe I hadn't thought of that, that mm. I hadn't given mm. them permission to laugh mm. in, in terms... So, for example, in Ten Canoes, it mm. starts off all very seriously. Yes. And, and people are very reverential about <laughs> it. And then there's this scene of, of you know who up ahead is farting yes. and everybody laughs and everybody has permission to yes. laugh. Yes, yeah. Uh, and that was, in that film, I thought it was important to give the audience permission to laugh mm. because mm. we do tend to get very serious about this stuff. Yes, yeah. <coughs> um, uh, uh, the film was meant to be a, a larger scale film uh, with a much bigger budget before... No, 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 no. This film was not right, meant to be that. Right, right, right. I had been working on another project yes. quite different to this. Okay, right. Yeah, I couldn't quite distinguish. Yeah. Was there a difference yes. between the two? Complete difference. Okay. The other one was based on a true story mm, mm. And, and not just based on a true story but trying to get to the essence of that yes. true story. Mm. Uh, whereas The Survival of Kindness is a mythical film. It's, yeah. it's not set anywhere. Mm, you know. mm. The other one was very specifically set largely in the centre of uh, Australia, mm. mostly in Western Australia. Um, whereas <coughs> Survival of Kindness, in a sense, could have been shot anywhere. Yes, yeah. In a way, in mm. the country. So did you borrow anything from that <coughs> other film for this one, or this is completely standalone? Completely standalone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and nothing... No, this one was done in order for me to try and understand something about <coughs> how to make a film differently than, than what I'd been thinking about mm. and for me to learn some lessons that I could then apply to the other one mm. because the other one stalled because of COVID. Yes. It was um, sort of miraculous to me that it was just
on that on that financing, you know, I thought, well, we've we've got the finance together, yeah. and then bang, of course, it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, um, it was so unknown what mm. would happen with cinema in particular. Yeah. You know, streaming was going mm. gangbusters, and mm. and I thought, I will never get to make that film unless I think about it differently. Yeah. And when I tried to think about it differently, I couldn't. Right. Because right. that's the film I wanted to make. Yeah. Yeah. And so. <clears throat> and then I thought, well, I better make another film yeah. now yeah. in COVID times. Mm. Therefore, necessarily small budget. I want to get it financed and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And began to structure a film in order to learn lessons. Completely new crew, people mm. I've never mm. worked with before, all sorts of things. Yes, yeah. Um, and, 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 but once that structure was in place, then it became a work of passion mm. that it is. Mm. Um, but... Not the same as, as the other film. Yeah, yeah. All. So for historical purposes, is there are you looking to return to that film someday? Could it potentially be on the horizon? It's it could okay. This well phrased. Yes. It could potentially be on the horizon. <laughs> yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, so the survival of kindness is your response to COVID and the Black Lives Matter uh, protests. Well, yeah. Mm. It turned out that way. Mm, okay, it turned out that's that interesting. Way. Yeah, uh, it's not what I intended to do. Mm. It's not where I tried to guide the film. Mm. Um, I know I can make choices in terms of writing, but mm. equally, I've got to think of something and, and decide to go that way. Yeah, and with the survival of kindness, I was trying to structure a film differently, mm. and one of the things that I was doing was rather than writing a script and then finding locations, yeah. I was finding locations and s trying to sense what sort of scene might take place yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, and now all that was happening when, during that time of collision between Black Lives Matter yes. and the pandemic, mm -hmm. which were big times, mm -hmm. you know. They were, and, and so inevitably, that that is part of part of what weighs into my thought processes of the day. Yes. Yeah. So when I'm looking at a location, mm. thinking, well, what could happen here? Mm, mm. It's it's influenced by that. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, can you tell us about the title, "The Survival of Kindness"? I remember when the trailer first came out. Actually, uh, I did notice a response from a, a film critic questioning the title of the film and and what it actually meant. Can you tell us about it in your own words? No, I'd be interested to see that that, that point of view. Um, no, no, there's not much to say about mm. it other mm. than we we, as so often happens with with a with a project, it's not until the end that you realise you need this title or that title, mm. and so very often you go in with a provisional title. And for me, every title is a provisional title mm. until it's up there on the screen for the audience. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and we had a different provisional title mm. um, and when it came to it that didn't work mm. and and the reason it didn't work because there are too many other films around with similar sounding whatever okay. yeah blah 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 right so, can you tell us what it was yes yeah, so yeah. the, the mountain it the was mountain very simple yes you know, the mountain yeah um, because that's where I started to look first for locations yes yeah and so it became <laughs> the mountain very quickly right even right. before I had any sense of anything that was in the film yeah and it just, that just stuck. Okay. 
then there was a film at Cannes called The Mountain that won yes. a prize and a film called Eight Mountains that, yeah, yeah. that won a prize and some New Zealand film called The Mountain that yes. was being made. Yes, and I think there was a Mother Mountain last year. Oh, there was oh, an Australian so add, film. Add, add yeah. that, add that, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so it seemed wise not mm. to use mm. that. Yes, And yeah. so we didn't. And then it was a question of, of uh, what is the title. Mm. And the... It was, you know, it just harked back to discussions I'd had with the composer, mm. uh, Anna Liebzeit, and and she would compose for the film, and mm. we'd sit and 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 she'd play it, and and she was very engaged with with the project on on a both very intellectual and very emotional levels, mm. very interesting combination, yeah. very strong, and she spoke of the kindness in the film. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yes, I know. I know. Mm-hmm. You know. And it's not that I put it in there, mm. but it went in there because it came from me. Yes, in a yes, way, yes. Um, and so from that, I found the title, mm. The Survival mm. of Kindness, yeah. as, being, as asking the right sort of questions mm. and mm. creating the right sort of intrigue that mm. people may want to see the film. Yes, yeah, I think it's. I think it certainly does. It, it definitely mm. works. Um, now, I just mentioned uh, another film writer then had questioned the title of the film and uh, it, it, he wasn't questioning it as though there was an issue with it. He just wanted... He wanted clarity on what it actually meant, and I'm sure once he ah, sees the film, he but will. You, but, but you see, he may have less clarity once he sees the film. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's true. And it, it seems to me that almost no title mm. gives you clarity no. about what is in the film. Yes. Yeah. I mean, mm. and back in the day, if Star Wars, mm. Mm. what would that mean? What the hell is that? It turned out to be something different to anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Don't judge a film by its title. No. <laughs> um, but out of curiosity, uh, I'm just wondering, have you read the uh, Screen Hub article which came out, uh, I think it was pretty much straight away after the trailer was released for The Survival of Kindness. And uh, the headline for the film is Why I Want to Boycott The Survival of Kindness by Rolf Tahir. And I, it was... I haven't read. It was questioning uh, white filmmakers telling black stories. Uh, it seems to come up every time a film like this is made. And I'm interested in your response to it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I understand mm. there, why the thinking it can exist mm. and, and does exist and perhaps should exist yeah. in some ways. Um, it's, a, it's a fraught field... Uh, because there is a validity there as well, mm. you know. But at the same time, it's my job to... Well, first of all, uh, it's not a black film. Mm. Mm. It's a black and white film. Yes. That's what it is. Mm. Mm. It's as much about white people as it is about coloured people. Yes. And at any rate, the issues that it deals with are profoundly... Uh, important for white people to engage with. Yes. Um, now, it's my job to, um, you know, if I make The Quiet Room, which is, you know, a film about a seven-year-old, uh, it's my job to get inside the mind of the seven-year-old mm, mm. And, and, you know, but you're not going to get a seven-year-old person to direct it. No, no. It's, it's a, that's a nonsense. Yes. But I'm just saying that's that's my job, mm, you know. Mm, and mm. and uh, you know, I've spent a long time getting to know aspects of things, mm, mm. and uh, in the same way as 
as you know, black people should be able to tell any story they want. Yes. To an extent, mm, mm. I, I feel that that white people should be able to make black stories. Yes. Yeah. In the whole indigenous field, it's it's quite interesting in, mm, in Australia. Mm, it's, mm. It is quite interesting because mm. it's getting quite difficult. Yeah. Um, and I hear quite a bit things like every every story, every black story told by a white person mm. is a story a black person can't tell. Mm, mm. And there are so many hundreds of thousands of black stories mm. that the more likely truth of it is that every black story not told by a white story mm. will be a black story not told yes, at yeah. all. Mm. No, and obviously not the case with some things. Yes. But there are, there, there are hundreds per year mm. of wonderful black stories mm -hmm. that are being lost and will never be told mm. because they haven't been told now and, and, and the known, the people who know the stories are dying. Yes, yeah. Mm. It's it's a very complex thing. Mm. Do you get asked that question often? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Are you sick of being asked it? No, because I, I can think about it again each time. Yeah, um, yeah. I got asked it at the press conference at Berlin. Oh, right, right. Um, okay. Yeah. Here it is. Yeah. First, yeah. first time, really, that I'd been interviewed about the film. Yeah. And there it came. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, it's, but it's just, it's important for, mm. for white people to engage with the issues. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, uh, anchoring the film is this character, Black Woman. Uh, and I was instantly drawn to her. And it's impossible not... I found it impossible not to like her, actually. There is nothing not to like about her. Um, I can't imagine anyone else playing this character. Can you tell us about casting Wajimi uh, in the role? Wajemi? Um, it, it, yeah, it, it had a sort of quite a bit of a, a history. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I'd originally begun writing the film for um, somebody I knew, who well, was a bloke, who was a black yes, man. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then he couldn't do the film. Mm. And, and so then in thinking of, about who else to get and COVID times, where are we shooting? You know, really they should come from Tasmania or South Australia. Yes. Um, in that sort of search, it, the notion of it being a woman came up and, mm. and that was quite interesting. And uh, my co-producer on the film is well, a woman, Julie, uh, and I discussed it with her and, you know, um, anyway, this particular woman triggered that, that particular woman that we saw, uh, or that I saw. Now, that particular woman didn't want to do the film right. uh, because she hadn't read the script or anything, but she just didn't want the disruption mm. Mm. Of, of a film in her life. But it, it, I mean, she had certain qualities, which is why she triggered the idea of mm. it, it could, be ha could perhaps be a woman. But after that, we, f we both, Julie and I, found it very difficult to go back to the idea of being a man. Yes. And so then we needed to cast, and we were getting close to shoot. Mm. Uh, and so we got casting director Angela Hughes, I mean, in South Australia. And because South Australia was a bigger pool of potential people mm. than Tasmania yes. is. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and she found five prospects mm. that um, I interviewed each of the five, a substantial sort of hour or so of discussion, mm. 
um, <clears throat> from that it was down to two, and from the two it became Moijemi. Now, yeah. the reason why Moijemi over any of the others, I guess, is um, that there was something, <clears throat> something in Moijemi that um, had me think that something absolutely terrific would be possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have another candidate who you think, yeah, okay. Um, base level, we're going to get something. Mm. Top level, we're going to get something a bit better than mm. that. Mm. With my Jamie, you thought, yes, she's so inexperienced, you, it could completely fall apart. Yeah, yeah. But my goodness, if it works, wow, that could be good. <laughs> and so uh, that's what you go for. Yeah, because yeah. Mm, something a bit mediocre mm. or, or, mm. or middling is just not going to cut it. No, that's you know? right. Yeah. So mm. you have to take those risks. Mm. Mm. And in the end, it was... <laughs> my Jamie is, in fact, wonderful in the role. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, did, did much change about the character between male and female? Um, no. I mean, I think the, the, the thing I did was I went and, and looked at the script very carefully and I, didn't, I wanted it to work if we didn't change anything. Mm. Mm. Now, the dynamics of a scene yeah. might have changed mm, mm. but we didn't change the scene at all mm. okay but it simply is different yeah. because it's a woman doing it rather than a man yes um and it worked in a different way yeah mm. um were there many parallels between moi jamie i don't know why i can't say that i was saying it fine before <laughs> Um, and and this character because there are some similarities. She's a she's a foster carer in real life. She takes on uh, foster children. No, she she has seven children of her own. Oh right, right. Uh, but no, she works as a social worker yeah. uh, in the area of placing foster children. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, look how much I I, I I don't know that you can say. Well, you can say it if you want, but I don't know that there is for me a lot that you could say that parallels between yes. her life mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. her character and the character of. Mm -hmm. of you know, she clearly draws on who she is yes. uh, to do the film, which mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. actors do. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, her life is so different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm to the person who's there yeah, in this yeah. mythical, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, uh, I, I love the way that uh, black woman looks at shoes uh, throughout the film. We mentioned that before. Whenever, whenever she tries on a new pair of shoes, there's a glance at the shoe and the moving of the foot. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and in including that in the film? Uh, Have I looked into that too much? No, <laughs> it's there. It's a little side issue, I suppose. Yeah. But it's it's in the script mm. largely. Mm. Not mm. not all complete. Not everything. Yeah. I mean, her going from from to different pairs of boots and having her boots stolen and so on. It's all part of the script. Mm. But exactly how it happens mm. is more worked out on set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you know the the yeah yeah. We shot in sequence, yes. which is quite helpful mm. in this sort of stuff. So, for example, when uh, she takes the boots off the hanging person yes. and she has them on and she rotates her foot, mm. Mm. You know, she stands on one foot and rotates the other foot as if to approvingly 
you know, accept the shoe for yes. what it is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if we hadn't shot in sequence, she wouldn't ever have done that mm. because mm. where that came from was an earlier scene in the film yeah. where Gunman steals her shoes yeah. and puts them on yes. and rotates his foot yes. and goes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, loved it. I love that little part of the film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, uh, there, there's very little dialogue in the film. Is it more of a challenge to work with actors and make a film with uh, such little dialogue or is it more of a challenge with the dialogue? What would you say? I think it's harder to get a perfect dialogue film than it is to get a perfect dialogueless mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. Uh, if the scripts of both are right. You yes. Know? Um, look, I think what I found was with... Not the entire cast was inexperienced. Mm-hmm. A couple of them were known and good actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, the first three in, on the list are all... But, you know, it's the first film they've ever been near. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I think was helpful in, in getting from them the performances that was there is that there wasn't dialogue. Mm. And it's not something they had to think about or or learn and, and get the right words out in the right order yes. or anything like that. Yeah. Mm. And it allowed them to inhabit the space a bit better and, and to find how to be in the moment, mm. Mm. which is really the essential part of being truthful on screen. Yes. Is yeah. being in the moment. Mm. It allowed them to find that a bit more easily, I mm. think. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I hadn't thought about that beforehand. Mm. It, the dialogue is simply how the script developed yeah. and it evolved mm. as I was working on it. Um, but the, the, the reasons for it working as well as it did, I think, are partly to do with that. Mm. Are there as many takes uh, and, and without actors fumbling their lines? Uh, no, there are less. Yes. Um, but not always. There are, I think we did go to 14 takes. <laughs> For, for one thing, as far as I can recall, right, which right. for me is a tremendously large amount, yes, so I generally yeah. don't shoot a lot of takes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, throughout the film, Black Woman travels across uh, many landscapes. You, you know, you've got the harsh desert, uh, the thick bush, and then this noisy industrial area. Uh, was there a landscape that was more challenging to shoot on for you? Um, the Alpine regions, we were more, we had more weather issues. Right. Um, in that um, I think we had one day in the four weeks we were in South Australia Mm, where mm. there was a little bit of rain around, a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, Whereas once we got to Tasmania, it was the wettest spring, I think, for 100 years Mm, or something, mm. something like something, or maybe ever or... um, and we were very, and, and it, it can also get very cold very quickly mm-hmm. and snow and stuff like that. And so we'd survey the locations and it would be all beautiful sunshine and, and, and but snow lying around. Mm. And, and, and then we'd get there and there'd be no snow. Yes. Or it would be up quite a lot higher by mm. then. Um, and, and, and there were days when, when we couldn't shoot. Mm. But, but, We'd sort of worked it out pretty well in, in terms of a schedule. Uh, and, and, you know, but, yeah, that was, that were the difficult, the difficult days. Can you tell us about that rock climbing scene? It just flashed yeah. into my mind just sure. now. So, 
we, uh, I find myself a couple of uh, rock climbing experts yeah. and I say, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And they say, yeah, okay, we can do that. Mm. Um, and they, you know, they picked the spot. Mm. They said, it's here, this is what we've got to do. Okay, good, yeah, yeah, that suits me. Um, and then uh, they said, look, you know, we can do it one of two ways. We can lower her down from the top or she can climb up from the bottom. Now, by far the best is if she climbs up from the bottom. Mm. Safest? But, sorry? Safest to, as well to climb from the bottom? I, I expect so. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, but, you know, it depends on, on, on how, what she's like. Mm. And, you know, we probably we will have to lower her down, but maybe she'll be able to climb up. So they wanted to test her out, and there's a little, little small cliff in, 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 in Hobart, practically in the city. Um, and we you know, took my Jamie to the cliff, and little, to, to the little cliff, and the two other blokes turned up, and one of them began to explain to my Jamie what, what, what he wanted her to do. Mm. And at the end of his explanation, she stood there. She had not, not really understood a word of what he was saying. Because oh, conceptually, okay. it was... She, she had experienced nothing like it. And, and, therefore, and I said, look, I said to the bloke, look, I think you better show her. Yeah. And then I think she'll be fine. Mm. And so he did. He did this little climb. Da, da, da. Oh, is that what you want? Okay, fine. Because so. she'd never seen anything yeah, like it. And, yeah. You know, whatever. And so, and so she climbed a little bit up. You know. And they said, oh, great, fantastic. Yes, you're okay. So we decamped to the big cliff. And uh, up she went. <laughs> how high? How, how far uh, up? Um, well, I don't know how high it was up. 50 metres okay. or, you know. Yep. Like it yep. was, you, you, you see it in the shot. Mm-hmm. She is that far She's up. She's that far That's up. That's her. Yeah. Uh, is she harnessed then? Is there... Yes, yes, yep. yes. yes. Oh, yep. yeah, well, Obviously, you absolutely can't not. You know, and, and <laughs> there was a little part of me that wanted you to say no then. But industrial health and safety yeah, reasons. Yeah. Um, but no, she climbed up. Mm. And she had to be parked there for nearly an hour wow. because of all this other stuff that's then started to happen, yeah. stuff with the drone and stuff with... There was another climber on a cliff that we would have been in the shot oh. and we had to get him down. <laughs> it was all... Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, she patiently waited up there. Yeah, yes. Um, you know, many, many stories above the ground. Yes. Um, thank you for sharing that story. I'm glad that I got that one in there. Um, uh, th- we're talking about these landscapes and, uh, you know, they do play into the film's narrative, uh, this timeless narrative. I spoke with uh, Tristan Pemberton recently who's made a film called Gravel Road and it's about the Desert Stars, who's a band from uh, Spinifex country. And uh, he's, he was explaining to me that when Indigenous people tell a story, time isn't a part of the story uh, landscapes are and place is did that play into the narrative structure of the survival of kindness because it, this it really is timeless um i don't think so mm. i don't think so i mean look you know i wrote the script yeah i'm the sum total of all the influences i've ever had mm. Mm. <laughs> there could be something of that in there somewhere yeah, yeah. But I don't think so. Mm. There was certainly nothing conscious in, in me about that. Right, right. Um, okay. it, it was this attempt to make a film differently. Mm. Uh, it was the starting off with the locations mm. rather than, you know, uh, starting off 
with writing a, a script and then finding the locations yeah. to suit. Mm. I think that's what made the locations what they are. Mm. Mm. Um, such a unique film, the more that I think about it now and, and listening to you speak about it. Uh, can you tell us about the design of the flag used in the film and, and where that design came from? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I designed it. Mm. Um, I referenced as many white supremacist organisations as I could yeah. who had emblems and, 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 and so on. Mm. And then sat down and I thought, OK, if I was doing an organisation like this, what would I do? Mm. Uh, and what is this world that they're in? Yeah. And who are these people? Yeah. Um, now, it, Did you go to a dark place it, there? It, well, you see, it helps that I'm Dutch. Yes. Because the Dutch are... Well, I was originally Dutch anyway. Yeah, yeah. Because the Dutch are responsible for a lot of this problem. Mm. You know, mm. A lot of this problem in America, for example, mm. can be traced right back to the Dutch who arrived in 1600 and whatever yeah. with their... their um, peculiar way of looking at religion and the world mm-hmm. um, and you know South Africa it's the same deal as the Dutch um, and I thought okay well what would I do mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know in the end I had you know the the green for the country that is ours the the, the red for the blood that we shall spill defending it mm-hmm. um, the black for the bars of the cage that mm. will lock the bloody bastards in if they get into our way. Yes. And the white in the middle of the ocean, that's us. Yes. Yeah. Terrific. Fantastic. Did, did you draw it up? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I drew it up and then, yeah. and then gave it to our production designer mm. who then did it properly yes. and said, okay, well, this one or this one or that one. I said, oh, well, that one's good. Yep, that's the one. Let's go with that one. Yeah. Oh, I'm curious to see the other designs as well. No, they're the same design, Oh, it's all the same. Right. But, but, but I mean, yeah, I had this one design, mm-hmm. but she drew it up properly. But, you know, how mm. thick the bars are, for example. Right. Makes a difference in feel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. Um, I, I work with a lot of independent filmmakers here in Western Australia and I do the best that I can to support the local uh, independent filmmaking community. Uh, when I sit here and I'm talking to you, I kind of get this... Uh, um, kind of this feeling that you've still got these grassroots uh, elements about you when it comes to filmmaking. Would you agree with that? Do you, do you approach it from a very independent kind of um, mindset? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Mm. Uh, and, and in the end, it was a... A shoot that was quite a bit like that. Yes. You know? Yeah. None of them had made a feature before. Mm. Nobody mm. on set, had, apart from me, had made right. a feature before, including uh, all of the uh, technical, all yeah? the heads of the, the department. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And it was the youngest crew by far I've yeah. ever worked with. Okay. Uh, at one stage, I looked at the production designer, the costume designer, mm. and the sound designer, mm. and they were talking to each other. And I went, oh, my God. I am older than the three of them put together. Wow, wow. That's what it was like. It was incredible. Mm. Mm. Is it invigorating? Well, yeah, Mm. to an extent. Mm. I mean, sometimes they go faster than I can. Yeah, yeah. And other times you go, you scratch your head Mm. and think, well, Mm. what's happening? Mm. You know, why... What is happening to the world these days? Yeah. It's like the, the bloody mobile phones. Yes, and yes. Um, uh, um, but no, it was it was you know something of a small miracle that mm, that, mm. that what came out of there was what we have. Yeah, because yeah. Of, of that. 
Yeah. Would and you, in that very independent way. Yeah. Would you say that you're still learning as a filmmaker? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly on this one, I learned a great deal. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like what? What's what, something? Well, just because, because I did it so differently mm -hmm. and how that influenced the... The scale of the film is mm. quite large in its own way, yes. but the budget is quite small. Mm. And, and one of the ways that that happened was by, by starting off with locations that existed. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and, and that didn't need a lot of interference mm. to make them work. Mm. Um, and that were flexible in, in, in how they could be. Mm. And so they were all things that are helpful in... in uh, and, and I learnt how significant that can be yes. and how far you can go with that. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I learned something. Every, you know, I feel a little, little more confident with my craft every <laughs> film I make. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, speaking of uh, you know, films that you've made in the past, uh, before we wrap up here, the last time I interviewed you, uh, which was for uh, Charlie's Country, yep. uh, I asked you about Bad Boy Bubby, and yep. uh, recently I rewatched The King is Dead, uh, which I, I, I think I enjoy it the more I watch it. it gets, it's a film that gets better with age. Mm -hmm. How do you reflect on The King is Dead now, you know, 10 years after, or a little bit longer now? Um, it's been I've been looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> yeah, a few times it comes up in my head and I think, oh, I'd like to see that again. Yes, but yeah. there's been, not been an opportunity to see it apart from on a computer, which I don't particularly want to do. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but... You know, I'm fond of it in mm. its own mm. way. You know, mm. it's, it's a was it enjoy an enjoyable experience for you to to, to make, make it? the film? Um, pretty good. Mm. You know, mm. uh, on the whole, very good. Mm. I mean, I'm going to say that different parts of it I enjoy differently. Yeah. Um, mostly, I enjoy writing and post production mm. the most, mm. and the shoot the least. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was a good shoot, mm. you know, relatively mm. so, and, and so that wasn't so bad. Mm. Uh, and the rest of it was always good, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. it was lovely. Mm. Um, this one, the shoot was pretty special. Oh, great, yeah. great, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, uh, I've got one final question here, which I ask all of my podcast guests before uh, we finish. That, that must mean I've already answered it. No, you, no, you no. should go to the go to the archives and pull out my answer from back then. Uh, I don't, actually, mate, no, you wouldn't have answered this one because it's a it's a recent question. Okay. Uh, have you seen any Australian films recently, or an Australian film recently that's really stood out for you? I'm sure I have. As to what it is right now, it's a question. It's, it's the one question that I would like to have received beforehand <laughs> because I can never think of it. Yes, never think um, of the answer. I can't even recall remotely the last film that I've seen. Mm, mm. Anything in Adelaide uh, that you would have seen? Oh, you were at uh, a screenplay yes, yes, recently yes, as well. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, screenplay, I saw nothing. Mm. Um, Adelaide, yes, I saw some good films. Um, the Last Daughter was impressive. Oh, yes, yeah. Um, That's due out next month, I believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But there was more, yeah. there was more. There mm. were a couple more that I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good film. Yes. That's, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Mm. You've taught to... me a lesson here, actually. Maybe I should give that question before uh, I ask it <laughs> so I, people can think about it. I would it. have really been able to answer it properly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, Rolf, thank you so much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Matt. 
Thanks for listening. Find all the latest Australian film news at cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can follow Cinema Australia on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and TikTok.